So, learning to love the silence. And silence, if it is silence, uh, is lovable. It's not uncommon for religious people, some religious people who are very devout, love God, uh, to find meditation as the work of silence very difficult to understand. And they will say, um, okay, uh, but what's supposed to happen? Or am I doing it right because nothing is happening? Or, um, okay, I'll, I'll say the mantra, um, but then when I get a message from God, or God speaks to me, then I don't need the mantra anymore because it's, it's, it's achieved its purpose. You know, saying the mantra is just like twiddling a, you know, something, a dial or a digital thing to get the exact frequency. And then I'm getting a message from God. Or I get this wonderful vision of God or this... So, it's not uncommon then for people to... Th to to do the work of silence, but not, not actually do the work of silence. They are still focusing not upon listening, but upon um, constructing or imagining noise. Maybe imaginary no uh, noise of, of the imagination or of ideas or of feelings. There's a international project called Breakthrough Listen, which I think has um, been set up uh, to survey uh, one million of the closest stars to us for signs of extraterrestrial life. So they are, these, uh, they're listening for signals from space and um, they're examining the hundred closest galaxies um, with tremendous tremendous sensitivity they can be sensitive to the sound of of an aircraft radar from any of the 1,000 nearest stars so imagine if there was a, an aircraft on a star one of the 1,000 nearest stars you'd be able to hear it it's cost it's taking 10 years and it's costing 100 million pounds to do. So, but that is not what meditation is. We're not listening for signs of extraterrestrial life that's going to, we will pick up as a message or as a signal. What a difference it is when we realize that we are listening to the silence and that we must become silent in order to listen to the silence. Otherwise, we are listening to the noises, our own words, our own imagination, that we are still producing. So this is the challenge, but it's also the great relief of discovering that we don't have to tune in to these kind of messages. Then we go, when, then after meditation, 
when we come back into creation, into the real world, and we're much closer to the real world as a result of the meditation, then what is not a sign, what is not a signal, what is not communicating being to us, everything that exists around us is a manifestation of being, and we are tuned to that. We're tuned to where it is coming from. And so our love of creation, our love of other human beings, our level of tolerance, the reduction of prejudice, of all the projections, positive or negative, that we make on other people or on things, all of this begins to change, it begins to reduce. This is why contemplation, teaching meditation, uh, makes such a difference to the way a corporation operates, to the way the emergency department of a hospital operates, to the way we operate within our families, and the way, of course, that we feel about ourselves. But there's a, for many of us, there is a, perhaps for all of us to begin with, there is a, a bit of a quantum leap when you realize that you're listening silently to the silence, not listening for a signal sign of, of extraterrestrial life in there somewhere. And at that moment, silence can seem something a little scary. So there is, in our very noisy world, a fear of silence, just as there is in our very over-stimulated world, a fear of stillness. Or in our very um, over-produced world, a fear of emptiness. A fear of what seems like nothing. And so we are conditioned before we, before we are aware of it to fill the silence with noise or to listen to noise rather than to silence. Children still have a natural capacity to listen to silence, but of course that is damaged at an earlier and earlier age. Uh, we are conditioned to fill in anything that we see to be empty. It's like, you know, advertising... F f uh, uh, companies now, you know, always finding new new ways of putting their brands or their products in, in front of you. Um, I think we all we all take it for granted now. The, the the London taxi. I noticed it the other day. London taxis, when I was growing up, were just black taxis. You could recognise it anywhere down the street. And uh, it was just that. Now it's a moving advertisement. They all are covered with advertisements. Sometimes it's difficult to see that it is a taxi at all. Or the back of envelopes, or you know, inside, uh, inside um, elevators and so on. So we fill up anything that we see to be empty, we, f we fill up. And stillness also frightens us so we always want to be doing something. And 
poor children today in affluent societies, middle-class families, are exhausted. On a, on a Sunday, they will be going off to French classes or extra dance classes. Or, you know, they're just overactive. And we escape from this level of stress that is created by uh, this fear of silence with addiction to video games. And, um, and then suddenly you catch yourself, I caught myself doing it not long ago, looking for something on the television, looking for the news, and I had 10 minutes or so before the news came on. So I was watching some... Uh, kind of chat show, and it was fascinatingly bad. <laughs> it, was, it was so fake and empty and meaningless and celebrity, just celebrity froth, nothing else. And I, I watched it for 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't know why. Because it's so well produced, I suppose, it's, they're designed to, to, to hold you. But we, we can spend a huge amount of, I mean, I think the celebrity entertainment world, you know, uh, is designed to make us spend huge amounts of time wasting ourselves on something utterly trivial and uh, superficial. And... And we do this in other ways. We may do it falling, falling into the trap of negative conversations with people. And you find yourself gossiping, feeding a negative uh, mood, or it's always something a little spicy about negative conversations where you start criticizing somebody and the, the first sign that you're doing it is when you say, but they're a very nice person. <laughs> And then that justifies you going in and starting to demolish them. Uh, so we can spend a lot of time doing that, and it's a kind of a false intimacy or false friendship. Or anger. We can waste a lot of time, a lot of, and generate more noise within our minds by feeding anger because somebody let us down, somebody disappointed us, somebody didn't flatter us, somebody criticized us in some way. Or bitterness, you know, the lonely bitterness of um, when everybody else has got fed up listening to your <laughs> complaints and you just have to uh, thus complain to yourself. So these are very common ways that we add to the inner noise. <coughs> listening leads us back to silence. And really, listening can begin anywhere. Just listen to yourself doing some of these stupid things, and you have already begun to reverse the process. You say to yourself, what on earth am I watching this stupid program for? Or why am I having this unpleasant conversation? Or why am I playing this video game or something. 
just to, to listen to oneself, to one's own noise, is the beginning of reversing the problem and doing the work of silence. And you, you begin here, you begin now, you begin where you are, as we do with meditation. Every time we sit down to meditate, uh, we take ourselves as we are at that moment. And it's no excuse to ourselves to say, oh, I don't, I'm so, I'm so distracted at, the, at this moment, you know, I got so annoyed about what happened uh, this, today that I can't meditate. It's no valid excuse for your true self to hear. And wherever you begin to do this work of listening, it will develop a love of silence that is stronger than the fear of silence. The noisier you are, the more you will be frightened of silence. But perfect love casts out fear. So all we have to do is just to begin to reverse the process, and that begins to generate our attraction to and love of silence. And of course, we are always, um, at the first anyway, hoping that the silence we're listening to is suddenly going to explode in a great burst of celebrity, a great burst of, of excitement. And this is captured very well in a little story of Elijah in the first book of Kings. So Elijah, if you remember the story, Elijah um, had been a good prophet uh, to the Lord and he had uh, destroyed the false prophets and um, uh, condemned everybody he was supposed to condemn. Uh, but then the tables got turned on him and they started to uh, persecute him, so he had to run away to save his skin. And he ran into the desert. Uh, and then, as he ran further and further into the desert, he got more and more alone, more and more desperate, and eventually he just sat down under a tree and said, well, this is, this is it, I've, <laughs> I've, reached, I've reached the end. He sat in despair. And then the angel of the Lord said to him, well, you better eat something because you've got a long journey to make. So then uh, he goes up on the mountain of the Lord in Horeb. He spends 40 days and nights and then the Lord said, go forth and stand on the mount before the Lord. The Lord passed by and a great strong wind uh, shook the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a great fire, but, after, but the Lord was not in the fire. So all the exciting things that you would hope would manifest the Lord to you, uh, not yet, not yet, as it says in the Upanishads, not yet, not yet. 
And then, after the uh, fire, there was a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. I think we'll think that is like putting up his hood, so it becomes like a hoodie or, or a monk putting up their cowl. Anyway, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. So he was in the cave, we now realize. Caves are universal symbols of the heart, of the interior space. Uh, everybody who's anybody in the mystical world has spent some time in a cave. St. Francis, St. Benedict, Mohammed, everybody's been in a cave. Ramana Maharshi. So he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. So he's at that meeting place between the inner and the outer world. And that's precisely where meditation brings us. As we listen to the silence, as we listen to the silence, we are better able to move in and out of the inner and outer worlds. And the difference between the inner and the outer becomes less polarized. One of the ways we will experience this is that we become less lonely, less isolated, less individualistic, and we become more familiar and more comfortable in even strange or unfamiliar situations in the outside world. We don't have to just retreat into what is familiar surroundings. The rich, if you're a rich person, or you, you won't be uncomfortable by being with the poor. Or if you're poor, you won't be uncomfortable being with the rich. Or if you're black, you won't be uncomfortable being with the white and white and black and so on. So the, the sense of, of conflict between the inner and the outer uh, diminishes with the, intense, with the power of silence. So this is where Elijah is now. Uh, he's not looking for a big dramatic event. He's listening to the still small voice, listening to the silence. And I think this means that uh, he's contacted the experience of silence and recognizes it to be self-communicating. He doesn't need to get a message. The silence is the message. The medium is the message. The silence is God. And we'll look a little later uh, at how this silence of God can be can be frightening uh, and upsetting for religious people. Anyway, and then there comes a voice, so a question, and God is always asking questions. What are you doing here, Elijah? What on earth are you doing here? Running away from the world. The desert is a place where you discover what you are really doing with your life. 
What are you really doing? How much time are you spending watching soap operas? Or, or how much time just protecting the money that you've made? Or if you're super rich, worrying about how you're going to spend your money? Or if you are reasonably comfortable, how much time you spend worrying about security? So the experience of silence is going to generate this question. What are you doing here? What kind of life are you living? What kind of values are you living by? And this is one of the, the great questions of God in the Bible. What are you doing here, Elijah? And it's uh, one of many other important questions in life uh, and in the Bible. The, quest the great questions of the Bible are really the great questions of life that we should be listening to, experiencing, feeling. Uh, anyway, who do you say I am? Jesus asks. Why are you afraid? What does God say to Adam and Eve? Who told you you were naked? Or the question of Jesus to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? So these are, these are the kind of questions, they don't come as text messages, but we can recognize them in our reading of scripture. This is why meditation helps us to read scripture more sensitively, more, more intuitively, at a deeper level, because we recognize in the words of scripture, and especially in these questions of scripture, we recognize what is happening in us. This is what John Cassian said, when he started meditating, he said, nothing happened in, in my meditation. I found it was really quite difficult to do my meditation. I thought it would be very simple and therefore easy, but I discovered it was simple but not easy. But quite quickly, he said, he discovered that he was reading scripture as if he wrote it himself. And uh, he had this ability to look into the deeper inner meanings of it. So these questions of scripture are simply scriptural, verbal expressions of movements within our own soul, within our own consciousness. So where might this deep listening that brings us into silence and into the living silence, where do, might this lead us? What would we hear ourselves answering to these questions, which are not verbal questions, but to these questions that are resounding within our own hunger for God, our own need for depth and meaning in our life? And 
everybody who meditates will say it changes their life. Nothing happens, but it changes our life. So this, this is what I mean by discovering these questions. These are movements, really, alerting us to the living uh, reality of our search for God, of our quest, of, our, of, the, of the momentum of our lives. What are you doing here, Elijah? This might lead you to a change of life, to a change of your values, how you spend your money, your time, where you give your attention. And it may reinforce you at a deeper level in commitment to what you are doing. Because what you are doing is the right thing for you to be doing. It doesn't always mean you have to sell up and move out. And, but it will certainly bring you to a place of awareness, to a place of consciousness. The first thing we have to face as we begin this work of listening is our inner noise. That's the first barrier. We have to dismantle it. We have to sort of go through it. We go through the noise barrier rather than the sound barrier. We go through this noise barrier. It's like the asteroid belt um, in the solar system. <coughs> and uh, it's that sort of uh, orbit in which the, these bits of rock are flying around continuously. So we have to go through this asteroid belt of noise by steady, gentle, persevering saying of the mantra. And as soon as we make this inner interior movement of faith, I will try to do this as best I can. Not perfectly. I mean, as long as you try to do it perfectly, you will be distracted by the feeling of failure. And then you'll have to give up this desire to be a perfect meditator or to master the technique, because it's not about either of those things. So that might take you a week, it may take you ten years. But as soon as you begin to make this interior commitment, to the work of silence, to the work of the mantra, then you glimpse, however briefly, you glimpse that there is another way for your mind to be. And what a great discovery that is. I'm not actually condemned to this noise in my own head. I'm not condemned to all the strategi stratagems of avoiding this noise, which only creates more noise. And that small glimpse of an alternative possibility of being, of the mind becoming clear and silent, that is life-changing. 
because it, because it makes you aware of yourself in a way you were not aware of before and therefore your whole perspective on the world around you is changed as well. And you're able better to discern the difference, for example, in daily life between sounds and noise. What are the noises that distract me and that I want to distract me? Because they distract me from noise. What's the difference between those noises, noisiness of life, and the sound of being that the haiku can capture briefly, that I can listen to as I go for a walk this afternoon uh, in Monte Oliveto and realize that I don't have to walk around thinking of all my problems or fantasizing about where I'm going to go next or chewing over and over again the same anxieties. I actually don't have to do that. Set your troubled hearts at rest, Jesus says. The word that we usually translate as rest is also hezekiah, or silence, in Greek. So set your troubled hearts in silence and banish your fears. So this is the, this is the heart of the gospel teaching of Jesus. And then, out of this silence comes joy. Set your troubled hearts at rest and banish your fears. I've spoken this to you, I've given you this reminder, this word, so that my joy may be in you and your own joy may be complete. So, however, ha, however small, <laughs> however small that little glimpse may be, uh, we only need to see it. It's like if there's a huge wall, but then there may be a little, the architect may have put in a little circle in the wall, a little hole in the wall. And however small that, uh, that hole may be, it, it changes your whole perception of the wall. Because you, you see through to the other side. It may still be a big wall you have to climb over. You may not be able to get through the, the hole. But your whole perception of it has been changed. And that's what conversion means. Metanoia, change of mind. And so the very first glimpse of silence or taste of silence we have initiates this process of liberation. <laughs> <laughs>